Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. Welcome to episode 70. We made it. We did, yes. 70 episodes. That's amazing. It's wild. It is. In this episode, we will be covering chapters 56 through chapter 58 of The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. That's right. And on our next book club, we'll be covering chapters 59 through 64. 59 through 64. Jot it down. That's exactly what I'm doing. While I'm jotting that down, who are you? I'm Liz. I'm the Duchess. My name is Chad. I am the Duke. Can you tell them briefly about our spoiler policy? I can. Our spoiler policy is very simple. Chad has not read these books, nor nope. has he read any any other books in the Cosmere. While I and many of our listeners have read them, we are not going to spoil anything for him past chapter 58 of The Way of Kings in this episode. It's as simple as that. This is the least amount of chapters we have read in, I can't even think of how long. Least amount of chapters, but long chapters. They were. They were long chapters. Because we're aiming for a 60 to 70 page range well it worked out well would you like to talk about chapter 56 that storming book that storming book <laughs> yeah let's jump right into it in this chapter dalinar and sadius are on another joint plateau run the battle is going well and dalinar has time to uncharacteristically ponder the age-old question where do parshendi women at <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the battle takes a turn when a second Parshendi army arrives. Sadius, accustomed to being safely in the back of the battle, finds himself suddenly in the front lines. Dalinar rescues him at great personal risk. Sadius is moved by Dalinar's actions and expresses interest in trying to understand Dalinar and his Stormin' book. That is, in fact, what happens. Great chapter summary. Thank you. Love it. And now we finally know where all the Parshendi women are at. We fi they were there so, the whole time. I couldn't believe that you brought it up last episode. <laughs> that did work out well. I was like, well. this is perfect. That did work out well. I can't believe it either because it took me 800 pages to be like, hey, wait a minute. Well, you know what? It took Dalinar six years. So, fair point. Like, I enjoyed this section. That is the one just annoying thing about this whole section and really all the stuff with Dalinar and Adolin and the Alethi is just, hey, wait a minute. We're, we never thought to, to look at the ones that didn't have beards. Like, we've never thought to take one of the corpses back and examine it. We never thought to look at this. It never crossed our minds to do that. Like, <laughs> these guys are idiots. So I have something I want to say about that. Why haven't the Alethi studied the Parshendi? And I just want to bring up 
in when we were in the chapter where Kaladin was having his vision. Mm-hmm. Okay, this isn't something that I. This is not spoilery because this is something that's kind of specul more speculation for me. But okay. So Kaladin is in his vision and he's talking to the face in the sky, whatever. And he asks him, why? Why does there have to be so much fighting? And the face in the sky says, because odium reigns. Mm -hmm. And I actually have never looked up the definition of odium, but this time I did. I mean, I knew kind of generally what it means. But when I looked it up, it says general or widespread hatred or disgust directed towards someone as a result of their actions. You mean in the English language? What what do you mean? You mean you looked up the word odium? The word odium. In the English language? Yes. I was not aware to even think it would have had an English definition. It is a word. I I thought he took the word opium and put a pin in the letter P (laughs) and swiveled it around and said, that's my new big bad. He did not. Son of a bitch. Odium is an emotion. It is general or widespread hatred or disgust directed towards someone as a result of their actions. Okay. Keep keep going down that line of thought because I'm not quite sure how you go so, from there to so why. So the, the, the speculation is... There's some, there are supernatural forces in play in a widespread, not quite understood or explained manner. And like they're all hopped up on odium. I I think that where you're frustrated is because it feels like, okay, these characters are being obtuse because it fits the story. Yes, that is accurate. Which is poor writing. And I'm telling you, that is not true. I don't think that's true. Okay. I'm I'm holding you to that. Hold me to it. For the record. This polar bear is coming home to roost. I'm just saying. You're, it's going to find its way You're out gonna of the jungle. You're going to be like, holy shit, that polar bear totally makes sense now. Okay. It's not like an, it's not like a crippled albino orangutan? Nope. It's not like, oh, there's some artsy fartsy guy living out in the woods is making it all happen or whatever We're, they're not all dead okay all right <laughs> they didn't Having all die on the plane crash okay. <laughs> all right. no promise so now we know that dalinar is cutting apart families is destroying families Running around and just destroying mating couples leaving widows and widowers Everywhere he goes. That's Dal- right. He might be the big bat. <laughs> it's all about perspective, man. Yeah, you know, I do think it's interesting that Dalinar is like, oh, hey, a lot of these are women. And he's like, that's fascinating. He's not disturbed at all. There's no like, oh. Uh, oh, he just keeps cutting them it's down. not like <laughs> some other hero of a fantasy novel that I won't name, whose name <laughs> rhymes with smand al four <laughs> i was like good point because i find that i found that part of that novel very annoying yeah that is annoying. you know he's just I like agree. oh some of you are chicks whack 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come get some yeah. <laughs> i don't know i just i thought that was interesting some of these bitches be bitches and bitches got to die <laughs> He seemed to say. 
Well, he definitely lets the black thorn loose in this chapter <laughs> in a way that we have. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> That's that one way to say you have I a little meant. prick. That is not what I meant. You don't but know that's works. not what he meant. <laughs> Unleash the black thorn. Unleash the black thorn. We shall begin unleashing the black thorn. It's unleashed. <laughs> Doesn't take long. <laughs> hey, you know what? Maybe it's cold on the shattered blades. Yeah, okay. That's I hear you. <laughs> He's neither a grower or a shower. <laughs> the thorn is what it is, man. That six-foot shard blade is compensating for something. Something, clearly. Perhaps. <laughs> All he needs now is a Corvette. <laughs> so he lets the black thorn loose, and um, apparently he's, he's, he's totally a badass. The black thorn is a badass. Yeah, he's standing there, and he's like, one of the soldiers comes up to him and he's like, Bright Lord Dalinar, I have terrible news. Sadius is no longer with us. He's over there instead. <laughs> lying down. With a bunch of Parshendi on top of him. His armor's cracked. He's dead. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do something about it? <laughs> Call the mortician. He has a good view of the battle from where he stands. <laughs> so he has to go save Sadius because the second army comes. And it this is a unique experience because they've never sent two armies out on a raid. Mm -hmm. And now, after having done it a couple times, because this is not the first time, right? Is it? I I don't recall. No, it's not the first time. Yeah, I, okay, I didn't think so. So now that they've done it a couple times, the Parshendi are, are getting wise to it. They're sending out a second army as well to meet them. And I have some speculation later on why that may be. So I won't I won't get into that now. And man, that's really all I got to say about this chapter. Because so it's a good chapter, it's a long chapter, but it's a lot of fighting. To me, that's like a one-time read-through. You're like, okay, I read through it, I get what's going on, that was fun, but it, I'm well, not going to reread it. I also it. think we, can, we, we need to talk about how Dalinar is still swinging back and forth between experiencing the thrill uh, yeah, and revulsion. Yep. And I think yeah. that's an important moment for his character. You know, the thrill and kicking is corpses. and kicking corpses. That's right. Corpse kicker. <laughs> um, but the thrill is, is a, a very integral part of being an Alethi warrior. They all feel it. They all experience it. And here Dalinar is you know, struggling with his identity in that area. And he's also, Sometimes experiencing and sometimes experiencing revulsion at what he's doing. And that's important thematically for this book, too, because we keep going back to the idea of can you ever, is it ever just to use violence? Is it ever a right moral action to use violence? So we see that, you know, explored obviously very overtly in Kaladin's storyline and then also more subtly in Dalinar's storyline. We yeah. also have a big character moment for Sadius here in being saved by Dalinar, and he's not, you know, 
super grateful or anything like you would be. But he's also like, you know, I, I, I think I might want to try and understand you a little bit better. I felt like he was pretty grateful. I mean, he was, but he wasn't like, oh, old friend, thank you. He was just like, oh, hey. I feel like he was. I don't know. I, I didn't take it that way. I felt like he was kind of glib. I'm just saying. Well, he's Sadius. For being inches from being stomped to death by Parshendi. Yeah, that's true. Dalinar's up there. He's like, I got my shard played on. I got my shard gloves on. I got my shard boots on. My sword is six feet long. And then he goes out and he's like, Corpse kicker, better you than me. Corpse kicker, fuck these Parshendi. Corpse kicker, now your wife is grieving. Corpse kicker, time for Parshendi to get even. I wish everyone listening right now could see the little dance you just did. (laughs) (laughs) Along with that song. Because it was fantastic. Oh, yeah. I'm a dancing fool. <laughs> so also, you know, the Parshendi women apparently are like dwarves. They're very difficult to distinguish from the Parshendi men. Yeah. Especially when their beards come in. It's true. Yeah, yeah. I also just think it's a really neat theme here of redemption and forgiveness. You know, Sadius has constantly been antagonizing Dalinar. Every interaction we've seen, he's been putting him down, undermining him, trying to make him look bad in different ways. And Dalinar has never retaliated. And we've seen him just always taking the high road, never trying to get back at him. And now we we see almost like it looks like that's been a a fruitful endeavor for him because Sadius is seemingly open, opening up to trying to understand Dalinar yeah, and his very non-Alethi point of view. So that's yeah. kind of cool. And I think we see more of that in chapter 58. Right. Yeah. So chapter 57, that was a doozy. Yeah, that's my favorite chapter in this section for sure. So this chapter is called Wander Sail. And, and in this chapter, we witness the battle from Kaladin's perspective. Bridge 4 loses maps. Double frowny face. Yeah, that's not fun. And Kaladin is super bummed. His spirits are lifted a tiny bit when Bridge 4 reveals their new special salute, Adorbs. Kaladin's ability to draw Stormlight is finally, blessedly discovered. And that storyline moves forward. With Teft and Lopin both witnessing his glowy new powers, there's no going back. He takes a long emo walk and coincidentally runs into Wit, who also, we find, goes by Hoyd. He tells Kaladin a story that's all about taking responsibility for your own actions. Syl shows up and explains to Kaladin that she is behind what is happening to him, at least partially. Kaladin makes a decision to stop avoiding responsibility by fixating on being cursed and embrace his powers. He asks Teft to help him discover exactly what he can do. So that's like a bare sketch of what went yeah, on. Yeah, there's a lot. But there is a lot more to get into. Yeah. So where do you want to start? After Maps has died, and they're sitting there, and Kaladin's trying to kind of come around from it, you know, and and get his head back on and focused on everybody else, and he's examining Teft, who's got a cut on his arm, and Teft does the old, 
have you felt anything strange, mm-hmm. you know? And Kaladin's like, Jesus, man, would you sh- shut up about this? You're driving me nuts. And then Tef decides to take a swing at him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why do men have to always try to be teaching people lessons with their fists? Right? Mm-hmm. So then Kaladin catches it, and he's like, why do I feel this way? I'm going through changes. His body's changing. He's getting acne on his back. He's got crazy (laughs) mood swings, huge increases in strength. And I'm like, I think I know what's going on. Kaladin's on steroids. (laughs) Sill's been floating out and finding chasm fiend adrenal glands and squirting him into his gruel. That doesn't explain the glowing, though. Well, I don't know how chasm fiend adrenal glands work do you that's true there's probably a more straightforward explanation but this is what i'm going with adrenal glands chasm fiend adrenal glands gotcha what do you have a an alternate theory no i don't <laughs> <laughs> no actually my real first note is she's not a windspring She's what not the a hell? No. That actually, so at first I'm like, well, that's just more damn confusing. But actually, the more I think about it, it actually makes it less confusing on the Spren front. Because one of the things that was confusing is this idea that they can sort of like morph into these other right. sentient beings. Right. And when we kind of take that out of the picture, it simplifies it a little bit. Yeah. However, there is still that giant one with the weird faces over in uh, over on the western side of the continent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that means it's sentient or not, but this does sort of simplify the spren thing a little bit. Of course, it's also another polar bear, but but that's okay. We'll It's all coming together, I we'll, promise. We'll figure we'll figure that out. So, Kaladin obviously this is a huge character arc for him. You know, we see him He's just really still tortured by the fact that he seems cursed. He seems cursed to survive, you know, and he cracks up a little bit when they lose maps. And so we just see a lot of inner reflection in this chapter with Kaladin. He he thinks back to to the time when he started thinking about men as being us versus them and just the impact that being in war has had on him. And, and he, he acknowledges that he's cracking up. You know, he says, these bridgemen look up to me, but the cracks in him were growing larger. And when this thing happens, this miraculous thing, most people will be like, holy shit, I can glow and I can stick stuff to walls. He's like, I'm cursed by the heralds because I'm doing what the radiant. It just goes right back to being cursed. He's experiencing some intense emotional conflict, you know, And and I get it. I get emotional conflict. I like the song Blurred Lines. No, you don't. I do. And I don't. It's a terrible song. I don't know. I, I mean. That is a big conflict. I'm not proud of it. I'm just telling you. I really like Miley Cyrus. See, I mean, I understand you. Her, her last song made me cry like a baby. <laughs> So I get, I mean, I get where he's coming from. But then something happens to Kaladin. He's off, he's running. And I just, this 
part of this book makes me laugh inappropriately because when he runs away, all I can picture is that scene in Elf where <laughs> Will Ferrell discovers discovers that he's not an elf and he does this dramatic like arms flailing like run and that's all I can see yeah, Kaladin no, that's, doing. That's like, pretty funny. I'm glowing. He's <laughs> <laughs> running through the camps. That's funny. But once he's gone, he's he's calmed down. He stops glowing. He's listening to some My Chemical Romance. He's like, you know, <laughs> he's working through it and he runs into this guy. This random dude. Random dude. And Hoyt is obviously someone who is more important than we initially took him for when he was introduced as the king's wit. Yeah. So, but let's talk about Hoyt and his story. Yeah, well, Hoyt who says, I began life as a thought, a concept, a word on a page. Like, that's very clear, right? Not cryptic at all. Well, I mean, it's, it's is he a manifestation of others' thoughts? Some s- powerful myth that's been brought to life by the power of people's belief in him? Some sort of demigod spawn? We do not know at this point. We do not know. And I always love the story within a story. Yes, you do. So I didn't uh, recap that entire plot in my story recap, but we I can we can go through it here. Let me recap it from memory, if do, you will. Do it. I don't remember any of the characters' names. Okay. Darylith or something like that? Darathil. Darathil, okay. Close. Darathil and his crew decide that they're going to hop on a boat and they're going to ride the high storm west of the continent of Roshar. So they're going to sail west. So they go out and they sail west and they end up finding this whirlpool surrounded by a bunch of islands. And there they find a group of people, the Avura? Uvara. The Uvara. So they find these people, the Uvara, and they look like this idyllic, utopian sort of society. But not long after they've been there, some girl walks along, makes a very simple mistake, stumbles. Everyone pounces on her and kills her right there on the spot. And then they realize that this is something that happens all the time. And when they question them about it, they say, our leader does not, will not stand for imperfection. And they're like, my God, whoever this tyrant is, we have to go kill. So they run up there, they go into his tower to kill the mighty tyrant and find out he is a desiccated corpse who has been dead for years and these bastards have been doing it all in fear of this guy, but also all on their own. And they essentially burn the town down and leave, taking one of them with her, with them. That is a very good recap from memory. You're welcome. I think the only thing that I would change about that recap is that Darathil and his people did not burn down the town in the story. The people burned it down themselves. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's important because the point of the story that Kaladin takes is that it's about avoiding responsibility because when Darathil asks the guide that that they rescued, why are they doing this? She says, don't you get it? All this time we've been doing these terrible things in the name of our emperor. But mm-hmm. if he's been dead, then the responsibility is on us for all the people that we've killed and we they, we just can't stand it. So obviously for me, the person that pops into my mind 
when I hear this story is Seth. Yeah. Because that's kind of, you know, he's tormented by all of his murders, but he feels like he doesn't have a choice. And so he kind of absolves himself of that ultimate responsibility. That's true. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. You know what I thought of? I thought there's that layer to the story. I think there might be another layer to it as well. One that's about Rashar clinging to a set of beliefs that caused them to have these wars and fight when the gods themselves have fled, or about them worshiping the heralds after the oath pact itself is broken, and how that, as they've continued down that road, particularly the Alethi, who just had war after war after war because they've been told that's what they're supposed to do, but the radiance and all of those things that they built that foundation upon have all been spent. They've all died, and yet they still persist in doing it. That's a great observation. I love that. That's very astute. So, good story within a story. I like it. It is a good story within a story. The other interesting thing we find out here after the story is that Hoyd knows Sizzle. Sizzle, sorry. Yeah, it turns out that Hoyd is Sigzel's master. That's right. And he says, you know, he really should have let me know he was alive. Perhaps he feared I'd come rescue him again. But he asks Kaladin to take care of him. So that is interesting. And I went back and I read in chapter 55 where Sigzel mentions his master. Because it's when they're talking about resisting uh, the Alethi and escaping and... Kaladin says to Sigzel, you know, you're not going to refuse to fight like rock, are you? And Sigzel says back to him, I think we can all agree that other methods have failed. Perhaps if my master knew I was still alive, but no, that is foolish. But his master did know he was alive. At which point did he become aware, do you think, though? I mean, this was like a week ago. I'm saying Hoyd knew Sigzel was alive. I don't know if that's something we can answer, but that's a good question. He knew. I'm saying he knew. Okay. We don't have proof either way of when Hoyd... Obviously, he knows as of this conversation with Kaladin. We we do not know at which point he became aware of that. I suspect his awareness of Kaladin only very recently grew when he you know, really started like changes started happening around him because he seems to know about him using stormlight. Well, everybody knew that he survived the storm. So that's true. If he didn't, if he wasn't already looking out for this cat for some other, you know, maybe metaphysical reason, if he wasn't already here just to meet this guy or whatever, then he certainly should have suspected something when somebody was held up in front of the storm and survived it. Yeah, that's a good point. I only have one other note in this chapter, and that is, back to the story, is the story about there being other continents or islands far out to the west, is it true? Obviously, we we can't answer that at this stage, but it's an interesting question, and we've sort of asked it before. We have this map of Roshar, it doesn't look like it encompasses an entire planet, but we also don't know. We don't have any, 
you know, larger maps than that. It wouldn't at all, it also wouldn't at all be surprising for a continent of this size, particularly if it's surrounded by a significant ocean and has tons of storms where it makes sea travel extraordinarily difficult to not know if there were other continents. But it's an interesting thing to ponder. It is interesting. So I thought we could break down Hoyt a little more and what we learn about him in this chapter. So physically, he's described as having short black hair, an angular face. Mm -hmm. And this is a description that he, that matches somewhat the description that the three searchers, we'll call them, yeah, yeah. went in the in the scene at the Pure Lake where they were talking to Ishik. Yep. Mm-hmm. They described the person they're looking for as having an angular face. Well, and they say the name Hoyd. And they say the name Hoyd, but just matches yeah, that yeah. description. Mm-hmm. So they're also told that, or Ishik is also told that he changes his appearance. But it seems like maybe the angular face is part of, is consistent. Because I, I think Ishik also mentions that he has white hair. Um, oh yeah that's a good so point. maybe yeah. the hair color changes but the face doesn't so that's just something to look out for um he's got his thin black sheathed sword he seems to know about kaladin's abilities and he calls himself a thief he says that one time he was named for a rock a beautiful one and one that became completely worthless for my wearing it so that's like interesting thing to look out for yep another thing to file away Mm -hmm. he says that the name hoyd is the name of someone i should have loved once again this is a thing i stole he seems to have some sort of there's something going on with the smoke of his fire as he's telling the story Mm -hmm. so we don't know if that's some sort of supernatural ability that he has the smoke seems to take on the shapes of the things that he is talking about he also seems to almost be able to play the flute and talk at the same time yeah, or he's um, he could be performing some sort of glamour right. against Cali. We don't, we really don't know. Right. He also says, and I don't remember if it's here or when he's speaking to Dalinar. I sus- but I think it was here that he's lived longer than Kaladin could ever imagine. Yes, and he he also says that I came to your land to chase an old acquaintance, but I've spent most of my time hiding from him instead. Yeah, so, and I don't think we can even... We can't, but just something to put a pin in, because obviously this is a character who's more than just the king's wit. Um, and then when he leaves, he leaves to the south as if to leave the war camps. I hope he's not that bastard who showed up in... Uh, remember the Snapters in part two, where that was the 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 epistle between two People, whoever? Yeah. right. And he was saying, uh, you know, this one has a shard more powerful than everyone else. And if we don't get together, this guy, this bastard's going to take over the Cosmere race race. Yeah. Hope he's not race. I hope not too. There was one other thing. Actually, I noted, I, I forgot to read this. So in Hoyd's story, when he is, you know, shaping the smoke or when he's influencing Kaladin to see things in the smoke, is it, I can't remember the guy's name. Is it Detheril? Darathil. Darathil, okay. Darathil is described as having a sharp, angular face with a sharp, uh, pointy chin and high cheekbones. Hmm. Good catch. Now, he obviously did not look exactly like Hoyd. Well, he was a smoke face. So. Yeah, true. If it had been 
immediately apparent to Kaladin that they looked identical, mm-hmm. I feel like we would have gotten that in the description. Right. Still, something to think about. Something to think about. So Darathil is described as a king during the shadow days. We don't have a whole lot of history described to us often. We hear about the time of the radiance, but so much apparently is lost in these series of desolations that happen. So, And this is after the desolations are over? This is before the days of the heralds and the radiance. Oh, before that. Oh, so this is... But he fought the Voidbringers during that time. Oh, okay. So we learned that there were Voidbringers. It wasn't like Voidbringers... Heralds and Radiance all came at the same time. Mm, there was okay. a time before the Heralds that the Voidbringers were still there. I should I should start putting together a timeline. Right? And Darathil was a king during that time. So he was sailing through the High Storm to find the origin of the Voidbringers. So we've heard it, the origin of storms mentioned, but he and was or- looking yeah. for the origin of the Voidbringers. And the origin of the storms are are always seen and obviously as being far to the east or to the east of Roshar. That, yeah, that was something I thought of as interesting. I don't know why I didn't write that down, but that the storms are meant, are thought to originate, or they obviously originate east of the continent of Roshar, but he's looking to the west for the the origination of the Voidbringers. So that's interesting. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> you got all these good points I read but didn't think to comment on. Well, let's talk about Syl for a minute, because, you know, when Kaladin, the first thing he thinks is Syl is the one who did this to me. After he blames Teft, he's like, what did you do to me? And Teft is like, man. (laughs) I just tried to teach you a lesson with my fist, brah. (laughs) It's what bros do. So, but Kaladin goes and he's like, what did you do to me? And she's like, this is something that we're doing together. And he's like, I'm cursed. And she's like, you think I'm a curse? And he's like, well, I'm not saying it. But if you're saying (laughs) it. (laughs) Your word's not mine. (laughs) And she goes off and she's all upset. But when she comes back during the story, and first off, she doesn't like Hoyd. She doesn't like, she says he's strange. He's strange. But she does tell him that she's behind what's happening. And this is important. She also tells him that if she stops this process of whatever is going through, she says she's giving him something and taking something in return. But if she stops the process, she goes back to being mindless like she was before. So that's kind of important. And then she tells yeah. him that she's not a windspren. She doesn't know what kind she is, but she she binds things together. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, well, she's a windspren. And then like a paragraph later, we actually encounter bindspren. Right. And I'm like, oh, she's okay. not a bindspren. She's not a bindspren. <laughs> It, it makes me question, is she a spren at all? We don't know at this point. We have no idea, yeah. We just know that she's not a wind spren. And so Kaladin, through the course of listening to and reflecting on this story, comes to a really important decision. And he confronts his selfishness. And he realizes that, you know, when Hoyt asks him, what have you been avoiding? What responsibility have you been avoiding? And he's his first thought is, well, uh, I take too much anything. responsibility. Yeah. That's my problem. My problem is I'm too hard on myself. I'm a perfectionist. That's exactly. 
Right. When you go to the I job interview. Too hard. Yeah. And they're like, tell us about your flaws and your weaknesses. And you're like, well, I'm probably a little too strong. I like to take on others' problems for myself. And I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Sometimes I wish there was a 36-hour day. I'm perfect. So at this point, he really realizes, though, that it's been selfish of him to, he says he uses the soul of the wretch or his depression as an excuse. And this whole idea that that he feels like he's cursed, that's really kind of a, a selfish way of looking at his abilities. And he really looks at why have I been so fixated on saving people? Is it about saving them or is it about saving myself or proving something to myself? Or just a self-defense mechanism right. of trying to avoid confronting these things. Now, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty significant psychological analysis of this character to for him to kind of get into that and be like, this is why I do this. Right. It was a, definitely a, a neat and a very deep character moment. And he, he finally, you know, says, you know, if I if I believe that I'm cursed, then I don't have to hurt when I fail. Exactly. And he decides that that's, that's what he's been avoiding. It's something else to blame it on. It's an external reason for your failures. Right. And again, like you said, and not re- taking responsibility. Because here's the thing. I don't know anything about the laws of this weird-ass universe that we're in. But... As it relates to story, storytelling, you know, humans, we always like fantasy, what it tells us about ourselves, right? Right. Well, if you're given some sort of crazy-ass storm power, with great storm power comes great storm responsibility. <laughs> right. And, you know, you you don't get the choice to just go hide in your hidey hole and, you know, and listen to the Smiths. You got to get out there and do some shit, brah. Exactly. Sebado will wait for you. <laughs> so yeah, the themes of leadership and responsibility are big in this chapter as well. And and a big moment for that character. It's it was nice to see him not like really dig in and, and see some important stuff about himself. So chapter 58 is called The Journey. In this chapter, Adolin is chilling with his homies in a wine shop. He's beginning to realize that not only does he actually agree with Dalinar's rules surrounding the army's codes of conduct, but that his friends are kind of a bunch of wankers. Meanwhile, Dalinar is trying to open Sadius's eyes to the virtues of the way of kings. Sadius is not buying it, but at least he's listening. Dalinar, Sadius, and Elicar watch Adolin duel. He's good, because of course he is, but also because he loves it and works hard at it. They discuss leaving the Shattered Plains, and Elicar's paranoia over assassins has him surprisingly open to the concept. They also discuss Dalinar and Sadius's recent battle tactics, and they agree on a compromise regarding the bridge crews. In the end, Sadius asks for a copy of The Way of Kings to be read to him. Boom. That's it. That's it. Big character stuff. How do you like that Blackthorn now? I don't like it. It's small and it hurts. (laughs) So we begin with Adolin and his friends sitting around the table. You know, it's like the cafeteria table in 11th grade. Right. You know, just gossiping. They're the cool kids. And their world doesn't extend beyond 
their immediate social circle. Mm-hmm. It's like they can't see anything. I, I'm just, I'm looking at all the things that are going on around these people, mm-hmm. like the fact that Parshendi have like a whole society that mm-hmm. they don't know anything about, that the blindness to the bridge crews and the people around them, mm-hmm. all these things. But but Adolin, even recognizing that he's sitting, you know, at a, at a table with a bunch of tools, his whole perspective and the things he's pointing out are what they look like and how cool their fashion is. And I wish my daddy would let me wear scarves on my wrists, you know, and it's just, it reminds me of when you get out of high school and you spend like that first year in the real world and you're like, oh, wait a minute. None of that shit mattered. Yep. But they're still kind of in high school. That's exactly what it seems like. And Adolin has a really important moment as he's walking away from these friends who are, they're all sitting there mildly bagging on Dalinar, but not being too disrespectful, but like, oh man, why can't we do what we want, you know? Yeah, yeah. And a week ago, Adolin was right there with him. And all of a sudden he walks out and he looks around and he realizes, and he's like, he tries for a minute to see through his father's eyes. What is the point of this? You know, because he says, there's no way we're not getting attacked here. What is the point of making us act as though we're being going to be attacked when we're obviously not? And all of a sudden he realizes, you know what? My father's officers, I can pick them out of a crowd easily. And anyone else's officers, you can't tell them apart from 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 civilians. He's like, oh, that actually kind of makes sense. And then he goes, you know, actually, really, what it's about is showing respect for the fact that we're in a war and that people, everyday soldiers are still fighting and dying every day and treating the war and battle with the gravity and the respect it deserves. And it's a big moment for him. It is. And a moment of growth. When I first read through this, the first time I read through this chapter, that is not how I saw that moment. Hmm. When I first read through this chapter, and of course I did not know how the chapter was going to end, I saw the lines, Dalinar didn't like the layout of the outer market. He said a raid could be catastrophic, and I thought, this could be foreshadowing. And then a couple paragraphs later, the officers from the war camp always wore the uniforms during times of chaos. People could easily identify them. And I'm like, oh shit. It's about to go down. <laughs> There's another thing later in mm-hmm. between Sad. I don't remember, but between Sadius and Dalinar talking to that, I was like, like they are foreshadowing. There's going to be a raid on this camp. They're going to raid this market. I thought that's how the chapter is going to end, right up until. The last couple of paragraphs. And then I was like, well, son of a bitch. (laughs) I turned the page and it was the end of the chapter. And I was like, well, I guess I guess that's not happening. So I saw that in a very different light uh, because I I saw it more from you were waiting for a battle. I was waiting for an attack. I was waiting for something more from a plot perspective. Oh, just character growth. Oh, pesky, pesky character growth. (laughs) Uh, One one other thing I did have before he got to that point, actually, is that he had mentioned that he liked to keep a big social circle, but not to keep people too close to him. Right. But um, other than, you know, his brother Renarin, but he did mention that he 
was not going to let Danlin get away. Mm-hmm. He was going to give her a promise ring, or as I like to call it, a I better get a blowjob out of this ring. <laughs> Because that's what a promise ring is. <laughs> I'm at least going to get a handy out of this $5 ring. <laughs> but what's funny is, I mean, that uh, that joke is funny, obviously. But what's funny about that situation is that every time he talks about making it work, I'm going to make it work with this one. It's in the context of not wanting Renarin to make fun of him. Yeah, not if because he, he likes up, her. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to make it work because she's great. He's just like, no, yeah, I got to make this one work because I'm tired of getting tired ragged of getting picked on. on. <laughs> I mean, he seems to like her. He does. He's he admires her, obviously. But that's he's, not why he's yeah. clueless about how to talk to her or about. Adolin is a very straightforward individual, you know, and so. Danlin right, is, is obviously trying to do some kind of subtle maneuvering or social maneuvering, and she's feigning modesty, and and he's like, "Why are you doing that?" And she's like, oh, "Dude." All right, so he mentions that she's attractive. He also mentions another girl that he doesn't find attractive. Mm-hmm. He comments endlessly about all of his male peers' fashion choices. And how great they look in it. Is there any likelihood that he's trying to hint at us that Adolin likes to spar with his sword against other swords metaphorically as well as literally? So, no, I don't think so. Okay. I don't get that impression but, either, but... No, I mean, he definitely finds women attractive, but... The way a kitten's attractive. The way a puppy's attractive, or a beautiful flower. I, but I think seeing things from his point of view, I think if he was finding men attractive, that... Uh, yeah. And that was what was meant to be coming out, that that would come out as well. But actually, can we talk about this for a minute? Because... No. I... <laughs> I, what I meant, we, I meant me. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shut up now. I love seeing a male character who likes clothes, but is still masculine. And why do we have to assume that because someone likes clothes or talking about clothes that that they're gay? We talk a lot about blurring gender roles in fantasy, but it's always referring to women wearing pants and being fighters and women, you know, taking on male roles. We never see this. We never see like, like, I like a dude that's like, hey, that's a nice scarf, you know, but he's still, you know, he's still masculine. You know, that's a good point, because in our own everyday society, we don't denigrate men for being fashionable. Right. He was just a metrosexual. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, and in in this story, we've got Yasna. She's a badass, but she's not afraid to rock a little red lippy. I mean, (laughs) and Aelin likes fashion and he also likes whacking things with swords. I mean, I say well done, Brandon Sanderson. I really like the exploration of gender roles in this book. Not only do we have these instances, but we also have 
the whole concept of women being the one who, ones who can read. And yes, they're not like fighters or warriors, but they have their own power yeah, and their own strengths. You know, and I, I just, I don't know. I think it's cool. Well, I, the part of the reason why I brought that up is because uh, Brandon Sanderson's writing is, while not being asexual, it definitely skirts away from getting really overtly into it. Yeah, we are solidly PG. Yeah, yeah. Which I think makes it a little bit more difficult sometimes to diagnose whether or not we're dealing with characters uh, or what their sexualities may or may not be. It, well, exactly. So yeah. it, it makes us have to dig a little bit further into it. You know, that's not unique. I mean, George R. R. Martin did that as well uh, with some of his characters. Now, some of them are also quite overtly. Right. Um, their sexuality was quite overt. But in other cases, you had to really look through the subtext to, to figure it out. But um, So it's not like it's unique to him, but I think uh, it's just something that if we're going to have characters with uh, a diversity amongst their sexuality, we're probably going to have to look fairly deep into the text to tell because we're probably never going to walk in on two people doing it. It certainly doesn't look that way at this point in the story. Yeah. And that's not a criticism. Right. And this, I don't think this story is meant to be about that. And that's, that's okay. Right. Yeah. But no, I don't think Adolin, I mean, he may swing both ways, but I think he definitely enjo yeah. enjoys a clam dig, let's just say. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't I don't really I don't really think that about Adolin. It just in the middle of talking about it, it just I hadn't really even thought about his sexuality right. at all. But when we started talking about how his interest in women was more prompted by not wanting to be made fun of by by his brother than his own actual interest in them, I just started thinking, is this a guy who feels pressured into all these relationships with women, but he can't really go through with one or make them stick because he's not really interested in making them stick. It seems more that it's he's not interested in any sort of commitment to a woman because he wants to date all the women. What I've seen is he's interested in one and he loses interest very quickly. Yeah. So far. We've talked about Adolin sexuality enough. Give the man a break. <laughs> so one thing I found interesting that I have actually never caught before in the snapter for chapter 58, hmm. and I'm going to read it. It says, Ray Shafir, the midnight mother, giving birth to abominations with her essence so dark. And it made me think about in chapter 19, Starfalls, which is the first vision that we witness, Dalinar is fighting creatures called the Midnight Essence. Mm. And the Radiant in his vision says that they're not in a true desolation, but they're fighting against the 10 deaths. So apparently even between desolations, there were bad creatures and mm. something called the Midnight Essence was one of them. So to hear this... Uh, this is one of these dying quotes, quotes from dying people. They're talking about the Midnight Mother giving birth to abominations with her essence so dark. Just just thought that was interesting. Well, when you, I hadn't, certainly had not put that together, but we talked earlier about the creature in the Snapters 
that are the epistles going back and forth, mm-hmm. um, the evil one who's mentioned is named Race. Right. And this character here who is Ray Saphir. I don't know if that means anything. It's spelled, the spelling is pretty different. I mean. That's not uncommon, however, mm-hmm. in this for characters to get renamed, these heralds, et cetera, to get renamed mm-hmm. from, from place to place to place. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it. Right. But when you said it out loud, I thought that was the thought that came across my head. Yeah. So then we have this conversation between Elicar, Sadius, and Dalinar. Yep. Now, Sadius is very into fashion as well. But yes. he uh, is making fun of this guy Vama's outfit. And Dalinar's like, oh, Sadius, so shallow. And Sadius is like, whatever. Like, you're just as judgmental as I am. And he says, you know, it offends him when people try to play the game, the fashion game, but do it poorly. So this is a very Alethi thing, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, this, that's true, yeah. The the importance of image, especially among the light eyes. Yeah. So Sadius is like, Vema, ugh, guys as useless as a bowl of condoms at Charlie Sheen's house. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Sadius is talking about fashion, Dalinar is trying to preach from him from the way of kings. He's talking about Nohaden, uh, Nohadan, however you say it, and uh, talking about his great walk from one mythical city we've never heard of to another mythical mm-hmm. city that we've heard of. And it reminded me very much of Baylor the Blessed from mm-hmm. A Song of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. who walked from King's Landing to Dorne to sow peace, but also you know, spent time with the little people, you know, went on these great pilgrimages, this huge departure from all of the other kings. It's very, very similar in terms of who who those characters kind of represent. Yeah. We also see Dalinar confronting his own cowardice as he sees it, and he decides that he needs to remain high prince because Elokar kind of turns to him and says, do you, would you abandon the vengeance pact if you could? Are you a coward? And he kind of takes that question and realizes that leaving, abdicating, walking away, is not confronting the problem. No, he has a very similar moment to what Kaladin has. Yeah, that was a, a, my favorite part of the of the chapter. He just kind of sacks up and is like, you know what? I'm tired of pretending. We're trying to massage my points to mm-hmm. fit into your image of what you think I should be. Here, Here's the facts. This is ludicrous that we're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. And much to our surprise, Elicar actually listens to him. Well, Elicar, too, has gotten to the point where he's wearing his shard plate in the shower. Like, he's... <laughs> <laughs> he's getting wicked paranoid. He, we also and find out stinky. that Elicar... Is seeing the symbol-headed guys. Yes, I know. Yeah. What? Yeah. So he says, you know, he's talking about... Every time I look in the mirror. Every time I look in the mirror, I see them with their strange, weird, twisted symbol heads. And and Delinar and Sadius aren't like, what? 
they're just like, okay. You're like, is it time to get him committed? You know, but why is it that every time somebody, well, not every time, but for the last two kings of Alethkar, upon becoming king, have had these weird sort of visions and, and metaphysical things happening to them. Perhaps it's part of the odium. Might be. Might be part of the odium. Is a general or widespread hatred or disgust toward a person? I don't know, but as a result of their actions. Uh, but more your idea that there is something, there is something spiritual going on that's sh- changing mm-hmm. all of this. Which you know, given the just the preponderance of weird ass metaphysical stuff we see, you'd like to think there's some sort of central thing behind it, other mm-hmm. than it's just completely random. Right. So, so that makes sense to me. Uh, there was a couple of other things I noted here. In, well, there's several other things I noted here in the conversation. There's a point at early in there where they say, all save the heralds themselves will die. And I'm thinking, well, there's really only one character I know of at this point who seems to have lived older than a normal human lifespan. And that's Hoyd. Mm-hmm. Also, Elicar is talking about wit. And he says, unreliable as damnation itself, that one. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, is it more like that he was unreliable during damnation, like one of the heralds? Mm. That's a pretty interesting line to have out there as just a little thing to reference to him. And if that is actually meant to be some sort of foreshadowing of some kind that's pretty freaking clever mm-hmm. so i thought that was interesting also i think dalinar would be absolutely miserable to go on a road trip with <laughs> absolutely freaking miserable you are so right you are so right i like him in very small Doses. <laughs> I mean, it'd be 1,500 miles of him listening to nothing but the doors and different like live versions of the doors <laughs> and explaining each lyric in horrible detail. But no, man, when Jim was like a kid, man, he like, he was like with his family and he like passed by this like accident on the highway. And no, man, like, no. It's not about that, bro. He, oh my God, he would be absolutely insufferable. That's hilarious. It's true. Dalinar would not let you ride with your feet up on the dash. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Hands at 10 and 2. For sure. Absolutely. The speed limit is there for a reason. Yeah. Let's talk about the and this is not the last thing I have to talk about, but let's talk about the the battle with Adel and the actual... Oh, the duel. The duel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was only one part that I thought was kind of funny. So they bring up all these fighters and all this stuff, and then he brings Adolin up, and we, we hear about who this character is. He's fighting and why, because he said them to, about his dad and blah, blah, blah. But this is the part I thought was funny. So they come up there and they, like, announce them, and then... They spend like 15 minutes stretching 
in shard plate and like getting ready. You know, there's a woman there. They're like taking notes. So there's like there's like sideline reporters. You know, and now I'm like it's like a football game, and I'm like here we see bright Lord Ressy representing Thandal. He's coming in after a close-fought victory just a week ago. Can he defeat the younger Adolin fresh off of a bye? We go down to the sidelines to our own Michelle Tafoya. What can you tell us, Michelle? Well, Howard, there seems to be a lack of energy on the Thandal sidelines. We went looking for Coach Thandal, and he wasn't even there. On the other side of the shard blade, Adolin Colon is doing a full splits in a suit of armor. He looks hungry. <laughs> the gladiators have entered the ring. In this rare occasion, this is not actually a metaphor. Ressi is a big, powerful man, but he's quick on his feet. Some would call him a dancing chull, but he fights using the unorthodox style of stone stance. John, that seems like he's playing right into Adolin's hand. Does Ressi even stand any chance, John? Uh, well, you see what's gonna happen is Ressi, he's gonna hit Adolin more times than Adolin's gonna hit Ressi. And the harder he hits him, the more damage he's going to cause. And that's just how the game is played. That last voice was supposed to be John Madden, but you're going to have to do your own John Madden impression because I can't do that. That was amazing. I, I'm, I just need a minute. Well, I've still got that's stuff awesome to say, so okay. you can take your minute. So the line that in this section that pissed me off... Although I understand it from the uh, from the character's perspective, but but really pissed me off was when Sadius and Dalinar are talking about at the end of the chapter. They're talking about getting together and using the bridge crews again, and Sadius is like, "They're mostly slaves. It's an honor for them to even be able to participate a little bit." And I'm like, "You know what's funny about that? Not a fucking thing." Mm. He's a goddamn baby punching hypocrite. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Nope. Nope. Sadius is definitely a prick. Yeah. And he, we end with him, but we end with him starting to open up and being willing to give Dalinar and his doors recitations some sort of a shot. He he's willing to to have the way of kings read to him. And it it almost seems like he's willing to change. And typically in fantasy novels, that is a dangerous thing. All right. Also, I was really certain that that camp was going to get raided. <laughs> really damn certain. Nope. It didn't happen. Nope. Son of a bitch. So, are you ready for Merry Bike Ride Cliff? Oh, yes. It's been a while. All right. Yes, Felicity on our Facebook page was asking us, when are we going to play Merry Bike Ride Cliff again? Well, apparently right now. So, if, if you haven't heard us play this before, Merry Bike Ride Cliff is the... PG version of the game Mary Fuck Kill. Mary Fuck Kill because we <laughs> wanted to play it in front of our kids. So I'm going to give Chad three women. One he's got to marry. 
one he's got to go on a bike ride with. Bike ride. And one he's got to push out into a chasm. I got to I got to uh, pedal on her huffy. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So- I got to swing on her schwin. <laughs> I got to get narrow on her haro. I got to give the goose to her mongoose. Those are all those are all the bike brands I know. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Off the top of my head. All right, so here is Merry Bike Ride Cliff Milf Edition. Okay, all right. So, you have Navani. Okay. Lorian, Wolf's mom. Uh-huh. Or Zamira, Drakasha, oh, the okay. pirate. Milf edition. <laughs> oh, Zamira. Okay, gotcha. All right. I was thinking of I was thinking of the younger one. Okay. Ezri, yeah. No, Zamira. All right. Um, Navani Lorian Zamira. Okay. Hmm. I'm gonna bike ride Navani. Okay. I'm gonna marry Zamira. Really? And I'm going to cliff Lorian. Wow, I'm surprised. Only because she's already dead. <laughs> that is the humane thing to do, I guess. Right? I mean. Spoilers, sorry. <laughs> well, anybody listening to this podcast should know that. <laughs> Otherwise, I might have to, you know. But I can't not. I'm surprised. you would ma- So you'd marry the pirate queen? I think so, yeah. All right. I think so. All right. She seemed to be a good mom. I mean, yeah, sure. You know, and I don't know that about Navani. I know Lorian's a good mom, but again, Dead. deceased. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if you have to get rid of the remains, I'm not going to carry her around with me. <laughs> Cliff sounds as good as any other way. <laughs> All right, good game. So there you go, yeah. All right. All right, so are you ready for some listener questions? Yes. Well, I guess we did our first one. Yeah, I guess we did, yeah. So we put out a post asking for questions, and I have actually not read any of these. I put the post up there, and I think I read the f- like one or two of the first ones that hit, um, but I've just been, the way today went... I hadn't had a chance to even be on Facebook one time. Oh, there's some good ones. So we we already did the Mary Bike Ride Cliff. Brian McClure says, where the Parshendi women at? Feel like that's been established. (laughs) They're with the Parshendi men. They're with the Parshendi men, fighting side by side. They're the beardless ones. Life bonded. (laughs) Strong women. I like it. So Felicity also says, what's your favorite and least favorite kind of jam? I mean, I have strong opinions. I do as well. All right, go ahead. So favorite, raspberry. Least favorite, apricot. Hmm, Okay, I don't mind apricot jam. My least favorite is the Concord grape jam, just the kind of generic Mm -hmm. grape jelly, just because it's kind of played out. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest, there's no jam I really strongly dislike. Mm-hmm. 
because it's sh- sugar and pectin. Like, what's not to like, right? Where can you go wrong? But my favorite is your folks had like a mango oh, crap. habanero so jam or something yeah. like that. That shit was the bomb. Mango I jam is good. It was, I think it was mango habanero. Mm-hmm. So it was this sweet, spicy. It was phenomenal. That weekend alone, I caught type 3 diabetes. <laughs> yes, I'm aware of what I just said. <laughs> Wallace Baker says, where did baby Bridgman come from? When a bridge and a man love each other very much. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, da Babalina says, if the doors of stone, thorn of Emberlane, and winds of winter all come out on the same day, which do you read first? Oh, that question makes me want to stab myself in the stomach. Well, thorn of Emberlane's last. Well, yeah, absolutely. Not because I don't want to read thorn of Emberlane. Just, it's definitely last. But on it's the definitely last out sure. of that list. Yeah. So it's really a question of doors of stone or winds of winter. I might surprise you. I'm. I know. I'm gonna go doors of stone. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a song of ice and fire is my favorite series overall. Slightly above name of the wind. However, doors of stone is the end of that trilogy, mm-hmm. and winds of winter is the penultimate right book. So there's a whole another book to go. Right. So I'm gonna wrap up i'd rather get closure on one if yeah if i have to choose one to read first it's going to be doors of stone i am definitely more emotionally invested in doors of stone in king killer chronicles you know this is one of the downsides although I, i don't begrudge these authors for taking their time reading these books but or writing these books i think you have to take the longer historical view and and think, did you write an awesome series or did you not write an awesome series? Not how long did it take you? But there are downsides to it. I'm becoming less invested in A Song of Ice and Fire the more I read other yeah. series. The longer it takes, the less interested I become. That being said, you're still going to buy it. Oh, hell yeah. And I'm going to read it immediately. And yeah. any other book other than Doors of Stones come comes out, and I'm reading Winds of Winter. Yeah. Like, if they issue a new New Testament of the Bible, I'm going to read <laughs> Doors of Stone. <laughs> I'm not going to take that comment any further than that. <laughs> I'm just saying... Moving right along. So, by the way, and this is, well, no, go ahead with the next question, because I think someone actually asked this. Oh, okay. Go ahead. So, Theogram Brown says, why would you accompany a story with one of the only instruments where you can't play and also talk at the same time? I'm going to point you towards some recordings of Jethro Tull. You can, a flute, unlike a lot of other wind instruments, because of the way your mouth is oriented, you can play it, stop, say your line, and then pick it right back up and keep doing what you're doing. So I didn't find that 
to be all that odd. He's not actually playing the melodies while he's talking. He plays the melodies and then the echoes throughout the chasm and the notes continue to ring while he talks and then he picks the melody back up. Yeah, it definitely works. I think um I think Theo's question is more why would you? It you know Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe yeah. they don't have stringed instruments. Uh, yeah, I mean uh, I mean we've definitely there's been several references to music and musicians even amongst the Alethi. I went back and looked at that cuz at one point I thought the Alethi were sort of non-musical, but that's not the case. I don't recall the types of instruments that they said. If they had any violins or stringed instruments, I don't recall. But yeah. That's I mean, that's a a good point. It's it's not the first choice for a storyteller, that's Definitely for sure. Not. Yeah. Definitely not. So but you'd have to bang the hell out of an acoustic guitar to get the to get the air moving, mm-hmm. to get the fire to do what you wanted it to do. So mm. Da Bambalina says, if I said you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me? <laughs> da Bambalina, are you hitting on my husband? <laughs> I'm just saying, bitches better back off. <laughs> All I'm saying, Dob, is if I swore you were an angel, would you treat me like the devil tonight? <laughs> Damn. Daryl says, uh, so what's up? Everyone, everyone's getting, getting, uh, getting involved, getting involved, getting saucy. His question is, uh, so what's up? Was it what's up or was it what's up? Uh, I don't know. It's good. That's a good, it, <laughs> it's hard to tell. You can't read tone through text, you know? It wasn't like, it doesn't look like what's up. It looks like. I'm just saying everyone so needs up? to stop hitting on my husband. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't think it was a how you do. Y'all keep it in your pants. I don't think it was how you do it. <laughs> so I can tell you what's up. What's up is right before this podcast, Liz lost her phone and had her phone lost all day. And we use the wonder of technology. We use my phone to track her phone down using the Finder app, and it was at this restaurant that you left it at. And we were trying to get ready to do the podcast, but we wanted to get our hands on our phone first. So I had to run out to the to the uh, restaurant to go find her phone. And unfortunately, I was in a hurry to get back to do the podcast because otherwise I would have taken a few extra minutes in the parking lot, fluffed it up a little bit, <laughs> And taking a special picture to leave on your camera roll. She's checking. But I... Damn it! ...chose to be responsible (laughs) and get back to the podcast. So that is, in fact, what is up. So what's up with you? Hard dicks and helicopters. (laughs) Brian McClure says, what do you think of Hoyd slash Witt's story? Do you agree with Kaladin's interpretation? Do you think it's a true story or one that's been made up by Witt? Could there be a different or additional meaning? So I, we kind of answered this. Yeah, we talked about that yeah. a bit. I, again, for me, the first character that popped into my mind was this is going to be relevant to Seth or this really speaks to his situation. Um, but Kaladin's interpretation works as well. 
I think it was a true story. I like your, I like the possibility that maybe Wit was death row. That's my, that's one of my that predictions. Would be awesome. That's one of my predictions is that he is uh, Dareth Elrond. And yeah, I do think there could be other layers to it as well. So Eric Allgaier says, if you, Chad, could have Winds of Winter in your hands tomorrow, but it meant giving your fretless Fender Mustang bass, a.k.a. Lady Stoneheart, to your mortal enemy, what would you do? (laughs) And then Theo says, I'm now imagining the Duke thrusting Lady Stoneheart headstock first into this mortal enemy's stomach and killing him before dusting his hands and saying fits the brief (laughs) so so the answer to that question is yes i would give up the base because lady stoneheart is a looker oh yeah but she's not really a player (laughs) i did that fretless job myself and i did an okay job but it looks good. It does look good. Yeah. Brian McClure says, on a scale from one to ten, how happy are you finally that Cal caught on to the fact that he can use Stormlight? Oh, my God. Oh, ten. <sighs> Twelve. <laughs> Twelve and a half. <laughs> Going, can I get a 13? <laughs> are you surprised that it's related to his connection to Syl? In my case, yes, I was. Uh, and how do you think the connection fits into the larger magic system that we see being developed on Roshar. And there's a lot of kind of going back and forth here. I'm not going to get into all the back and forth. Uh, I can't even begin to guess at uh, what it means at this point. I haven't really had a chance to absorb it and spend a lot of time thinking on it. Other than I do think, as I've mentioned, it simplifies the spren thing a little bit. Well, and one thing that I've noticed is that the only other person we've seen with these kinds of powers and abilities is Seth. Obviously, yeah. we open on him wielding Stormlight like a badass. We've had several point of view chapters. We've never heard him mention a sprint. That's a good point. Yeah. There's a layer, a layer to the mystery there. That is a layer to the mystery. That's a good point. Uh, Felicity says, is it too soon for a Snapter review? So maybe we can do that next that is a good idea, especially since we saw something interesting in one of the snapters yeah, this week. And well, in a couple episodes back, there was a couple of interesting things as well that relate to some of the speculation about who might be what reborn. Right. And Susan King says, who do you think that Wit slash Hoyd uh, was chasing and or hiding from? So I actually do have a theory about this. I don't really... This is completely like I have no real basis for this. It's just, mm-hmm. this is a wild ass tinfoily sort of idea behind it. So we, I'm going to take them one at a time. Who was Hoyd hiding from? Well, he was hiding from the three guys in um, pure Lake mm-hmm. or they were at least chasing him. I don't mm-hmm. know if he was actively hiding, but there's that, but I, I sort of speculate, we've we've said multiple times that, or I've said multiple times, that there are these people who appear Alethi, but are not from Alethgar, who, are, who all seem to be kind of wandering around the continent. 
we have the mistress uh, from one of the interludes. Mm-hmm. We have the the guy, the thinker from the very first interlude, and mm-hmm. we have Hoyd. I'm sort of wondering, I, I think like the mistress and the thinker are part of some group of Cosmere, some peop, group of people related to the greater Cosmere, mm-hmm. not necessarily related directly to this storyline. Mm-hmm. So some sort of like organization like the Watchers from Buffy or something mm-hmm. like that. And he's both chasing and hiding from them, not a single person, but the group collectively. Mm-hmm. That's my sort of take on it. I have no, I have nothing to base that on. Mm-hmm. But that, that's my speculation. Like that's my speculation. So we have got, over the last week, we have got a ton of new likes on our Facebook page. Fantastic. Not the group page. We've also had a bunch of people join the Facebook group page. The weird thing about the Facebook group page is I, like, sometimes it'll say, hey, here are the new people who joined recently. But it like it seems to do that when it wants to. It's not. Um, it's it's kind of random. Uh, and we've gotten to where we have so many people on there that I have I can't sort through the list and just tell from looking at it. But we've had like in the last couple of weeks we've had ten or fifteen new people join the Facebook group page. When that thing pops up and it tells me, tells me who all the new people are, I will definitely thank people individually. But in, until then, uh, we are very, very happy to have lots of new folks joining uh, the page. And as we get a chance to talk to you, we will be very, very happy uh, to welcome you to the group. But we do, ha- I do have the list, however, of a bunch of our new likes on the Duke and Duchess Just Facebook page. So I'm going to ask, because I've been doing a lot of the talking here, reading all this stuff, so I'm going to ask Liz to read off the names of the new Facebook likes. All right, can you read those names for me? I can read stuff. Thank you, thank you. Yes. I can also add short strings of small numbers. (laughs) Okay. We have thank you to Courtney Sabal, mm-hmm. Brianna McCulloch. Mm-hmm, thank you. Scott Schaefer, Ricky Spanish, Ethan Allen Poe, Skylar Howell, Denise Fuch. I think it's Fuchs. Fuchs. What are you doing? Don't don't laugh. These are these people's names. But Dennis Fox. Wait a minute. Denise Fuchs? Yeah. But Dennis Fox. Why are you laughing? This is the, this is rude. Son of a bitch. Holden McPutsack. <laughs> Omar Kandom. O- Omar Kandom. <laughs> Captain Gregory Bumdump. <laughs> That's captain to you. Did you add silly sounding names to the bottom of this list? No. Maybe. So Bud Lightsucks is an actual person on Facebook. Oh yeah, Bud Lightsucks. Dorcas, no really Dorcas. <laughs> <laughs> Fanny never asked for this. <laughs> Timmy Fuck Fuck. 
Timmy Fuck Fuck, that's my buddy. <laughs> Johnny Fuck Sucker. <laughs> that's his buddy. I don't know Johnny Fuck Sucker. I don't play around with that. Amanda Swatty wants. A man does what he wants. <laughs> Amanda Swatty wants. Detroit smells. <laughs> oh, we're, we're pissing off Detroit now. Oh, come on. People from Detroit know. <laughs> Oh my god! I would have done a Baltimore joke, but there's not a good Balti first name, you know. I mean, that was good. Is that good? Okay. Well, thank you to our, thank you to D Detroit Smells. Thank you to our new listeners. Some of those were legit. <laughs> it started legit. All right, are you ready for predictions? Yes. Okay. All right, I don't have as many predictions this time, but I do have a few. The Parshen. This is tinfoily. Probably, definitely wrong, but I'm saying it anyway. The Parshendi are the reincarnated souls of dead Rosharans. Hmm. I like it. Hoyd. So last time I said Kaladin was Kalak reborn a herald. Now, having read this, I don't think that's true. I think Kaladin, I think Kaladin is one of the Radiants reborn but I do think Hoyt is a herald. All right. Also, I'm going to double down on the Dalinar is going to die and somebody else is going to wield Oathbringer. All right. He makes a comment in there about how just unnatural and awful it sounds, the idea of somebody else wearing his shard plate and swinging his shard blade. I think... The Parshendi's only real goal in fighting the Alethi is to keep them from coming to or taking the tower. That's why they only send small forces out, because they'd rather keep their forces in defense of the tower. So I think they, you know, they meet the Alethi out there to to reject them and push them and fight them. But I really like they're not trying to really shove them away. They're just trying to hold on to the tower and stop anybody from getting to the tower. And I think uh, Darathil is Hoyd. All right. Good predictions. Those are my predictions. All right. So that is all that I have. Do you have anything? I think that's it for episode 70. All right. So you see you on episode 71. We will. And remember on episode 71, we will read chapters 59 through 64. If you want to find us, you can find us on our homepage at the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess and on our Facebook group page at uh, facebook.com backslash groups backslash the DND group. You can find us on Twitter at the DND podcast. Twitter has really not been very active lately since we've had to kind of tear it down and rebuild it. Not really getting a lot of activity. We lost a lot of a lot of folks there, unfortunately. And also on Instagram at the Duke and Duchess podcast. If you like what you listen to, please tell somebody. Share it on social media. Tell your buddies at the water cooler. Pimp us out, yo. Pimp us out, yo. It's been a while. All right, good night, everybody. Good night.